The following message is from the 2016 IBCD Summer Institute. Disordered Desires, Bringing Grace to Modern Sexuality. But uh, good afternoon, my name is Keith Palmer and I uh, uh, have the privilege of being a pastor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, also involved in uh, ACBC, which many of you are familiar with, and uh, it's a joy to, to speak to you today. A um, couple of things. I just want to uh, let you know what this presentation is about. Um, th- this presentation grew out of years and years and years of helping men, many young men, uh, high school students, college students, uh, wrestle with the problem of pornography. And so what you're going to see today is what over the years I've developed to do with them. So it really is geared more toward men, but um, I've gone through this. I think 97% of it you could apply to women that are struggling with pornography also. That's a growing issue. Um, but ladies, I wanted to let you know if you didn't already see it in your notes, there are two sessions that Martha Peace is doing at this same conference this week. Um, uh, one is on helping women struggling with pornography, and one is on helping wives whose husbands struggle with pornography. So uh, you want to look into those as resources um, for your use there. Uh, Also, this is really a a strategy for fighting those who are struggling with pornography, and it assumes a certain base level of understanding sexual sin from a biblical counseling standpoint, and uh, I'll hit things along the way, Uh, but I want to recommend to you at the end of your notes are a number of resources, and if you're brand new to biblical counseling and and brand new to discipleship, and and you say, "I I don't even know how I should approach the subject of pornography, I would encourage you to look at those resources because uh, there are several good uh, good resources today designed to help us uh, to think through those issues. So um, can you guys hear me okay? I'm going to wander and this doesn't work for wandering pastors. So um, those of you in the back, can you hear me okay? Okay. All right. Well, let me lead us in a word of prayer and then uh, we'll jump right in here today. Uh, Father, we are uh, grateful as we uh, bow our hearts and our Uh, our lives uh, unto you in this moment, just thanking you and praising you for the work of Christ and uh, what he did for us in his life and death and resurrection. Thank you for how this conference has exalted Christ and uh, his work, even as it is sought to apply it to the problem of uh, sexual issues and broken desires. And uh, we pray in this hour that, again, we would focus on the work of Christ and we would see how there is hope Uh, And there is help for those that are struggling with pornography. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, what I present today would be helpful, uh, that it would be anchored in your word. And uh, we just are so thankful to gather as brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to think through these issues because we love you and we love your people and we want to have effective ministries for your glory. So guide us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine with me that uh, we went on a field trip. Okay, we're going to go on a field trip together. We're at a seminar here, but let's let's go on a field trip, and and we are going to do the the Middle East Taliban and ISIS discovery tour. Okay, so we all get together and we uh, go down to San Diego Airport or wherever, and we fly to the Middle East. And, and of course, if we were going to do something like that, we would certainly want to have a, a security detail because that would not be a safe trip to do unless we had the proper security and detail. So we so we got there and uh, we meet the security detail, and and they walk in and, and they're dressed just like many of you, you know, Hawaiian shirts, Southern California sandals, uh, and, and they're they're there to protect you. And you're thinking, okay. So we're going to go 
to ISIS-infected territory, and this is the security guys. And there's no military attire, there's no guns, there's no tanks, there's no airplanes, missiles, bombs. Uh, They don't have a clue where the ISIS locations are. They don't have any intel on them. And you and I are thinking about that point. Maybe we we better change our plans and, and go on a, I don't know, a cruise or something like that. But we certainly would not want to do that. Because whether you're in the military or, or uh, if we were to go into a place of danger, uh, you would want to know about the enemy. You, you'd want to recognize there is a war going on. There is a war declared on us by those terror groups. And um, we, we would be very, very foolish to walk into their territory with no intelligence, no military, no battle forces, no plan, no firepower to do that. Uh, and in a similar way, there are thousands and thousands, maybe even millions of men in the world today who are in enemy-occupied territory in the problem of pornography, and they know nothing about the battle, they know nothing about the enemy, they have not been trained, there is no battle strategy, there is no pl- battle plan, there is no um, outline toward winning the war. And guess what? Men all over the world are losing that battle because they don't know anything about this. There there are some guys, Christian men, that don't even realize this is a battle. And I just want to remind you, uh, listen, listen to how the Bible normally, regularly describes... The Christian life. I'll just read a couple of verses to you. Just listen. First Timothy six twelve. Fight the good fight of faith. First Corinthians nine twenty six. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Second Corinthians ten three. We do not war according to the flesh. These are what I call the GI Joe terms of the Bible, and you don't have to be. Uh, doing a detailed study of the New Testament to come to understand that the Christian life is described as a war, as a battle, as a fight. And so if we are going to be faithful in, in any realm of struggling with sin, particularly the, the issue of pornography as we're looking at today, we have to approach it with the same soberness and the same detail and the same planning as we would think of a physical battle. And, and that is what uh, I hope to, to do in this, in this time today, is to outline a clear battle strategy that Christian men can use to wage war and to win in the fight against sexual sin. So that's what we hope to accomplish. Uh, I want to begin uh, in your outline there um, with some preliminary steps. Some preliminary steps. The PowerPoint, I think, is not working, so I'm just going to do this uh, from my notes. If, try, your try the clicker again. No, end of show. The other, the, other the other way? That's the start right there. So I think it's just one slide. So, Oh, we did? Oh, there it is. Okay, I can't get any further than that, so... All right. Well, do we have to do it like in the old days? Slide, please. Remember that? Uh, anyway, okay, we'll, we'll just do it. We want to begin, first of all, with, with some uh, preliminary steps, and then we'll get to the, the battle plan here as, as we have it. The preliminary steps are, are really um, 
fleshing out, applying what Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 describes. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any sinful way within me. And, um, and, and that's, that's what we're, we want to do initially when you meet with somebody who's struggling with sexual sin, struggling with pornography, is you want to try to answer some basic questions. And this, this is the data gathering part of biblical counseling. How often do you struggle? Let's answer some questions here. How often do you struggle? When do you typically struggle? In what contexts do you struggle? What patterns do you see in your struggle? If, if you've ever dealt with somebody struggling with pornography, you probably already know this. There are always, almost always, patterns that emerge as you get to know somebody who's struggling. There's a a time and place. There are certain um, opportunities, certain situations, even certain times of day that can sometimes lend itself to a pattern that you see in an individual man's life. And, And as a biblical counselor, identifying that pattern is often one of the helpful things you can do to help them to strategize and know how to prepare themselves for those moments. So, so if you can map out that pattern, that can be very helpful. Another thing we need to do is we, we begin with painfully honest and comprehensive evaluation is to beware of the eternal danger of not fighting. Beware of the eternal danger of not fighting. Let's, all right, still stuck. So um, turn in your Bible with me, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the, the downside is I won't be able to put the verses up here. This is a biblical counseling conference, so hopefully you brought your... You brought your Bible, that's right. If not, whip out your phone and maybe you have an app for that. So, um, But let's start with this. Matthew chapter 5. This is one of those sobering verses in Scripture that, that really um, challenges often conventional thinking as we think about sin and a willingness to fight sin. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has just begun his Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he's, he's walking through some Old Testament commands, uh, giving uh, expansion on those commands, but really showing us the, the real intent, the real intent of God in those commands. So uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, we'll start in verse 27, he says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And so if your right eye makes you stumble and tear it out and you throw it from you, throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. What is Jesus teaching here? Well, there, there's a number of things we can see about the nature of adultery. It's not just a physical act. You can sin in your heart, and that makes you just as guilty uh, in terms of falling short of the glory of God. But, but the point I want you to see is that Jesus is saying that a willingness to be radical in your fight towards sin says something about your spiritual condition. We'll look back at the text. He says, it's better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. What's the implication? If you're not willing to be radical in your repentance, if you're not willing to fight uh, as severely and as uh, radically as Jesus describes here, that calls into question your spiritual condition. Jesus is not saying 
that radical amputation qualifies you for heaven. He's not saying you do this work and that gets you into heaven. What he is saying is, if you're truly a Christian, you are going to be willing to be radical when it comes to putting away sin in your life, particularly, as this text tells us, the area of sexual sin. And so one of the hard conversations you may have to have with counselees who are unwilling to be this radical is to pull the car over in counseling, open to a text like this, and say, hey, brother, I'm concerned about your soul. And the reason I'm concerned about your soul is that Jesus says here that a willingness to be radical about your sin is indicative of somebody who really knows the Lord. And conversely, somebody who is not willing to do that may not be a Christian. So we want to begin as we try to help men, help people struggling with pornography. We're in these preliminary steps. We want to begin with painfully honest and comprehensive evaluation. Second thing, we want to help them to turn to Christ in genuine repentance. We want to help them to turn to Christ in genuine repentance. Okay? Um, I have listed there Psalm 32, Psalm 51, David's Psalms of Repentance. Uh, turning to Christ is the first step toward helping people with sexual sin. And yes, it is the first step to helping anybody with any sort of sin. Now, we may have to help them to turn to Christ initially for conversion. Uh, One of the things that we do in our church, we have a a community counseling ministry where we do free uh, biblical counseling to anybody in our community that wants it. And, and I live in the Bible Belt. So you walk in and you got, oh, I go to church and I know the Bible. And then you get to know those people and you come to understand, at least where I live, that a lot of times what they are, have bought into is a cultural version of Christianity, not a biblical version of Christianity. And so our biblical counseling ministry becomes a very strategic part of our evangelism plan for our community. And that's one of the wonderful things that the Lord has been gracious to do there. Well, oftentimes as you get to know somebody and you begin to unfold the word, of God and and get to know them as a person and gather data, you come to understand that this person does not know the Lord. Well, guess what? As Jay Adams says, you can't counsel an unbeliever or you can't, think of it this way, you can't disciple a non-disciple. So you do what what Adams talked about and and biblical counselors since then, we do what's called pre-counseling, otherwise known as evangelism, right? So we want to help them to turn to Christ in genuine repentance. Maybe that's for conversion. Maybe that's coming to the Lord for the very first time. But if you do have a genuine believer in front of you, guess what? You turn to Christ also in ongoing repentance, ongoing help that we need there. Now notice on your notes there, we want to help them as they turn to Christ. That implies that we want to help them to turn away from what I'm going to call turning to false saviors, What are some of the false saviors that people turn to when they're struggling with sexual sin, when they're struggling with pornography? Let me give you a few here. Some of the false saviors that we want to try to help people avoid are things like this. Trying harder. This is trying harder for Jesus, right? Making rules. I will never do this again. I resolve this day. I'm going to write it down in my prayer journal. I will never look at pornography again. Um. What, what do you think? This, this, this will be interesting. When I ask young men who are struggling with pornography, I say, well, what have you done about it? What have you tried? What do you think the number one thing that they say is? This is the part where you talk. <laughs> what do they say? Pray. They pray. Now, is praying a good thing? Absolutely. Is praying the first thing? Absolutely. It's like, well, okay, that's good. That's a good start. What else have you done? 
Not a whole lot. And sometimes they just think that praying more is the solution. Now, now praying more is part of a comprehensive solution, absolutely. But it is not the same as turning to Christ in genuine repentance. And, and I'll show you how that is. Uh, making former, uh, forming resolutions, giving into discouragement. How about this one? Relying on biblical principles without relying on Christ. Do you know you can do that? You can rely on biblical principles without actually relying on Jesus. It's called moralism. And and note on your notes there, it is only because we are in Christ that we have any hope for growth and change. Do you really believe that? If If you really believe that it is only because a believer is in Christ that we have any hope of change, that will radically alter how you go about helping people. If you don't really believe that, that will also radically affect how you go about helping people. But we understand as Bible-believing Christians, it is only because we are united with Christ. Jesus said in in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is one of the, I wrote down Romans 6 there. Um, There's wonderful verses uh, where we want to help connect people to what it means to be in Christ. And some of these young men, they've grown up in good churches, but they are clueless about what it means to be a Christian, clueless about what it means to be in Christ. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Or Romans 6, as I have listed there, uh, you'll, you'll see as you wander through Romans 6 that a believer has a new identity. They have a new ability. They don't have to sin. They have a new practice. They can use their capacities for righteousness, Paul's going to argue there. They have a new position. They're not under law, but under grace. There's a new growth that's possible. They will grow in holiness as they put off the old man and put on the new. They have a new future. They will inherit eternal life. And, of course, those chapters go on and culminate to Romans chapter 8 where there, we read there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Did you know how many men are struggling, need to hear that in Christ there is no condemnation for their sin? That Christ has removed their guilt, He has removed their shame, He has taken care of that at the cross, and there is no condemnation there. And as that chapter concludes, no one can separate us from that love of God that is found in Christ. So we want to help people to turn to Christ in genuine repentance. The third um, preliminary step on your notes there is we want to help them to implement radical prevention steps. Implement radical prevention steps. Uh, How many are in the medical profession? Anybody in the medical field? Okay. I think of this as kind of like spiritual uh, triage, right? When somebody goes to the emergency room and and you don't know what's what's wrong, right? So you do this triage thing where you evaluate them. And in in some cases, if somebody's in cardiac arrest or there's some, um, you know, eminent thing going on, you seek to stabilize them first, right? I don't know anything about medicine, but I know that's one of the things they do, right? They stabilize them first. Think of this, the radical prevention steps here as the stabilization of the person so that you can get now to the root of the problem behind their sexual sin and pornography. If you don't do this, you can try to go to some of those other things, but they will not have enough spiritual stability to be aided by those things yet. So so what are we thinking about here? We're we're thinking here about removing sources of temptation, the computer, the Internet, things like that. We want to think about installing blocking and accountability software to all computers. Call me crazy. I don't think anybody should have unrestricted, unblocked, 
unfiltered internet access. I don't know about you, but my struggle and my temptation with sin is hard enough without having devices in my life that have unrestricted access. So I'm not looking for more opportunities of temptation. In fact, I am looking to remove as many sources of temptation that I possibly can. And I just want to challenge you. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, and when cable TV first came out, I remember everybody was like, we got to lock it down because there's terrible channels on there. Well, guess what? Now you've got a phone in your pocket any time of day, and you can access any amount of sinful, wicked, horrific filth that you want to any time of day, virtually from any location in the world. And I don't think it's wise, and I don't want to be legalistic about this, I don't think it's wise for any Christian to have full and complete access to that. Why would you want to? Why would you want that? So, uh, parents in the room, you know what this means is we need to get really, really smart and educate ourselves on our children's technology. That, that's a whole other seminar for another day. Uh, you might go on the ACBC website and, and uh, look for Tim Keeter, K-E-E-T-E-R. Uh, unfortunately, it's, he's not in the resources. But Tim Keeter, uh, he's an ACBC counselor. And uh, he's done wonderful talks designed to help parents with the technology side of locking down your child's phone or computer or uh, tablet, things like that. Um, the, the program we use in our home is called NetNanny. Have you guys heard of NetNanny? Um, it's a blocking software and an accountability software. Um, as a dad and as a pastor, I've, just, I've researched some of these things, and that's the one that I found, uh, in my opinion, works the best. Um, but think about that. You've got Netflix, Vudu, iTunes, Amazon, um, all, these, all these sources where you can access things. And we want to install blocking software there. Because the idea is... Um, if a, if a man is so entrenched into this, the first thing you want to do is to make it really, 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 really hard for him to access that material. And then you can get to the real work of counseling, which is in helping draw out the issues of the heart and helping him to grow in righteousness with his desires and behavior. But remember, this is triage. We're trying to stabilize him. And so sometimes I've actually had guys tell me, you know what? When I installed that blocking software, I was so relieved. Why are you relieved? I'm relieved because I know I can't get to it anymore. And they're appreciative of that. It's like I can breathe now spiritually for a minute and think about now how can I, how can I slay this dragon in my life. Also on radical pre- uh, prevention steps, redesign your schedule and daily routine so that it promotes godliness, not sin. Well, what does that mean? Maybe you've got a college student and, and he gets home three hours before his roommate does. And he sits in his dorm room by himself with social media, tablets, his phone, his laptop, everything. And that's the, that's the time of temptation for him. Well, rearrange your schedule. Don't be in that dorm room alone until your roommate gets home. I mean, just simple stuff. Go to the library. Go to the KFC across the street. Get on their Wi-Fi at Starbucks. You know, whatever. Go, go to a public place where you're not going to be as easily tempted to look at pornography. And then finally, there's surround yourself with godly men. We'll talk more about that as we go. Okay, so that leads us to the main part of our talk here, which is to follow a daily battle plan. I, w- I want you to see this, that men will spend hundreds of hours educating themselves about sports strategies. I won't ask for a show of hands. It's too convicting. But they will spend virtually no time thinking about a plan 
to strategize and fight and battle against this, this monster here we know as sexual sin and pornography. And man, I just want to say that's a challenge. I think that's a challenge for us. To, not that following sports is bad. I like to follow sports just like you do. But to spend something of the same, if not more, time and effort on our spiritual health and spiritual strategies rather than educating ourselves on sports strategies. Oh, I think we got it backward there. Now, so this battle plan... Speaking of sports, uh, has three parts. There's an offense, there's a defense, and there's a special teams. Because after all, I'm talking to guys, and sometimes you just got to keep it simple. You know what I mean? Offense, defense, and special teams. The special teams is what I call the repentance plan, because when do you bring special teams in in a football game? When it's fourth and long, when you're in trouble, right? You got to bring in the special teams. So offense, defense, and repentance or special teams, because that's what you do when you're in trouble. Let's talk first about the offensive plan. Turn in your Bible with me, please, to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. I remember the day that I was reading this psalm and this verse leapt off the page at me as I was thinking about helping people who are struggling with pornography and sexual sin. Psalm 119. And, and you may have, you've, may have actually memorized this verse uh, before. Psalm 119. Okay, and we're going to look at the, uh, uh, the Bates, the B stanza here, verses 9 to 16. And, and you know how this starts, right? You may be familiar with this. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? Isn't that a great question? Do, do you sit down with your kids and your grandkids, some of you involved in student ministry, children's ministry, and do you take them to places like this and say, see how practical the scripture is? Do you want to live a pure life? Do you want to know what purity is, spiritually speaking? How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. And then usually the verse we memorize with that is verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that's a good verse, right? We should memorize the Bible because then we have spiritual ammunition in our hearts and, and that's good. Notice verse 10. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. How does that work? Verse 10, with all my heart I have sought you, so do not let me wander from your commandments. You you know, brothers and sisters, what I take from that verse is that the best defense when it comes to fighting and, and, and getting to a place of sexual purity and preserving that, the best defense is actually a good offense. What is he saying? He's saying, how can a young man keep his way pure? Answer, with all your heart you pursue the Lord. A man who is walking with God, who is pursuing God, who is spending time with God, who is growing in his walk with God, who is engaged in ministry, who is engaged in a quiet time, he is growing, he is maturing. That is a place of spiritual health, and that is the best thing you can do. If you forget everything else about this seminar, that is the best thing you can do to help men who are struggling with sexual sin. Get them pursuing a growing and passionate and all-out walk with God, and I guarantee you, you will see progress as they struggle with sexual sin. That's what this verse is teaching us. And that is why, in the plan in front of you, we're going to spend a whole lot of time talking about offense. Because that's where the text tells us we should put our effort. Okay, so real simple. This is going to feel like spiritual kindergarten, but you better believe 
that in the vast majority of men that I have counseled who are struggling with pornography, these basic spiritual disciplines are at best happening sporadically or usually not happening at all. Okay, so, so here it is, spiritual kindergarten number one. Spend daily time with God in His Word and prayer. Spend daily time with God and His Word is in prayer. I always tell guys you need a time and a place and a plan. If you're going to have successful time with God every day, you need to have a time and a place and a plan to do that. So I've written it down there with blanks because when I hand this to a counselee, I want them to fill it out. I want them to say, I'm going to get up at 6 in the morning or at 9 o'clock at night when... Um, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm done from the work and I've gotten cleaned up from the day and I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read, I'm going to pray. You know, whatever that is, I'm going to take my lunch break and I'm going to go to, you know, In-N-Out Burger with my Bible and then there we go. But when's that daily time and place? Notice also a Bible reading plan. Um, I, would, I would argue, don't just read random places in the Bible. If you're struggling with something, go to the places in the Bible that are going to help you with that. that that's what that, that, those texts are there for. So an intentional Bible reading plan, things I am praying for, um, a, a growing prayer life is an essential part to this, okay, and our offensive plan. Number two, read over each of the following scriptures every day. And this is one of the things I make guys do is read over all of these verses every day as part of their time with God. And then I ask them to memorize one verse per week. That's verse 11 of Psalm 119. I have treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Then I ask men to do this. They're reading over all these verses every day. They're working on memorizing one verse a week. Um, And then I ask them for the verse that you're memorizing, write one specific practical application that you can do today. And do at least one of those applications per day. James chapter 1 verses 22 says what? Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And, and that, that's a, I think that's a struggle for all of us. It's particularly a struggle with men that are caught up in this. Um, they know a lot of Bible. If they're Christian men, they, they may know a lot of Bible, but they're not being a doer of the Word. So facilitate that. Biblical counseling, one of the things we do in biblical counseling, we, it, biblical counseling is not just teaching the Bible, although that's part of it, and it's not just teaching application, although that's part of that. It's facilitating being a doer of the Word. In fact, that's one of the hardest parts. I, I, I have the privilege of uh, supervising counselors for ACBC, and I would say as I supervise new counselors, one of the things they struggle with the most is facilitating in that ministry how to help people be doers of the word in that. You know, that's such an important part of that. Um, number three, help them to attend a, or, or call them to attend a worship service every Sunday. You think Christian college students are going to church every Sunday? Sadly, no. And, and, and I wish I could say it was different, but the reality is sometimes they get out on their own and, and the commitment to Sunday morning worship uh, is not there. Our college pastor up at uh, John MacArthur's church where we attended years ago, he used to say, Sunday morning starts Saturday night. And you may have to help students to, to get that, right? You've got to think about your plan Saturday so that they don't inhibit your ability to worship on Sunday. So commit yourself to a local body of believers in a Bible-believing church. Hebrews 10 reminds us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Number four, get involved in a small group or discipleship group in your church. Now, just to remind you, what are we doing? We are building an offensive battle plan for helping men struggling with pornography. Nothing profound yet, right? These are basic spiritual disciplines, but these are, these are the things that are lacking. I, I rarely meet a man that is doing all of these things that is drowning in the sea of pornography. It just it doesn't happen. 
So number four, get involved in a small group or discipleship group in your church. Now, when I'm thinking about a small group or discipleship group, I'm thinking that as a context where you can practice the one another commands of Scripture, receive the ministry of others, and build relationships where speaking the truth in love can occur. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 says that the leaders of the church, the pastors and teachers, elders, are supposed to equip the saints, right? That's what we do. And then they equip the saints, meaning they, they equip and train believers, and then believers do the work of ministry, And they do the work of ministry that results in two things, according to Ephesians 4, and that is unity in the body and maturity in Christ, the the two goals of of the ministry that happens there. And then verse 15 of Ephesians 4 tells us how does that happen? How how does everybody in the body working together lead to maturity and unity? Answer, by speaking the truth in love. It's speaking the truth in love that brings that about. So a a small group, a discipleship group, is a place where men and women get to know one another. And and ideally, um, this could be a mixed group, or sometimes it's all guys and, and all girls, separate groups. But the point is, you need people in your life who know you and can speak the truth in love into your life. And likewise, you can do the same for them. Uh, One of my professors at the Master's Seminar used to say, when it comes to Christians, lone rangers are dead rangers. That's a, good, that's a good point to remember because we were not designed to be on our own as Christians. We were, we were designed to be a part of a local body of Christ. Number five, we want to help them to get involved with a ministry in your local church. And, and I would encourage you as you help them to get involved, not just in the worship service, but actually as a part of the ministry serving in the local church. I would encourage you to get them in, help them get involved with a ministry that involves serving other people. First uh, Peter 4 Verse 10 tells us that every believer has received a gift and they should employ it in serving one another. You say, well, why is a service-oriented ministry strategic when it comes to helping men with sexual sin? Why why do you think that is? Why why is that? You get out of your own self. You get out of your own self? What are you going to say? Yeah, Yeah, because sexual sin is all about self-gratification. So part of putting off and putting on is not just saying, I want to stop being a selfish person. It's replacing that with, I need to learn to be a selfless person and start thinking of the interests of others and not just my own, as Philippians 2 tells us. So getting involved in serving can help uh, facilitate that. Number six, we want to go even, you you notice we're going from corporate worship to small group discipleship. Now look at this level, verse six, Titus chapter two, we want to help them to seek out an older godly man, or if you're uh, ladies, if you're ministering to a woman, obviously an older godly woman who can disciple you and specifically hold you accountable with your struggle. Well, that's the pattern we see in Titus two, older men training younger men, older women training younger women. Uh, On your notes there, um, fathers and sons should have humble, honest, and regular communication, accountability, and prayer with and for one another in this area. That's what we see in Proverbs 5, 7, and 9 in particular, and in the whole uh, book of Proverbs in general. That, that Guys, where, where this conversation is supposed to start is in the home. And I'm a dad, so I'm going to preach to myself like I preached to you here in a minute if you're a dad here. Guys, we have to be having these conversations with our boys. If you're a grandpa, a grandparent, and, um, 
and you come alongside your, your son or your daughter or their spouses and, and, uh, and they are in hearty agreement that, that minister to your grandchildren who need to have these types of talks and discipleship. Proverbs says that should be the normal type of conversation in our home. The church is there to, to supplement that and to encourage that, but that's primarily a family responsibility. That's where it needs to start. And also, secondly, there under number six, men should seek friendships with other guys who are committed to purity personally in their relationships with women and in hobbies and recreation and entertainment. Uh, Guys, just think about this. Think, Think of how much of how guys relate revolves around sin, particularly sexual sin. Think about that. Think of the advertising in sports. Thinking, think of the, the joking that goes on at the water cooler in the office. Uh, think about all these. Th- think of how men talk to each other in the workplace. There, there's sexual innuendo. There's joking. There, there's um, media, social media that goes back and forth. And, and so you're helping someone come out of that. They need to put men in their life that are going to help them p- to pursue purity both personally and in their relationships with one another. Number seven, we're building an offensive plan. Help them to practice the principle of radical amputation. We've seen this in our preliminary steps. But you want to help them ask this question. What things are causing you to be tempted? What things are causing you to be tempted? As Jesus commands, remove these things so that you will no longer be tempted. As I mentioned, the argument of Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30 is a willingness to be radical is often an objective indication of true repentance. And conversely, a lack of willingness to be radical is often an objective indication that they are not truly repentant yet and they may not even be a true Christian. Okay, Let's look now at number 8. We're going we're gonna, to, again, we're going to come down now and we're going to talk not just about the, the act of looking at pornography, but now we're going to begin to get to some of the heart issues here. Number eight, as you're helping somebody, you need to have some honest dialogue asking them questions like this. What sexual related thoughts and fantasies have you been entertaining? What sexual related thoughts and fantasies have you been entertaining? The Bible teaches that, that temptation to sin starts where? Where does it start? It starts in the heart, the spiritual heart, that, that, that immaterial, real you on the inside. The Bible calls it the heart. Sometimes it calls it the mind. Sometimes it calls it the spirit. It's generally describing that same real you, that spiritual part of you. And, and the Bible is going to say... That's where all of this begins. It begins in the heart. Long before the phone comes out, long before the laptop is turned on, long before the remote is clicked to turn on the TV to to bring up something from Netflix, there is something that has happened in the heart, and that is where you need to start helping them to win and fight in the battle. Um, So we want to help them. What are some of those thoughts and fantasies? Now, Now, just a footnote on that. What I'm not asking there is give me a detailed account of your... No, that's not it. That's not helpful for them. It's not helpful for you as the counselor. But you need to know something of the types of things that are tempting them. And, and uh, one of the things I've noticed is that um, uh, these are... A man who's struggling with pornography is not just struggling when he's looking at it. He's struggling in his mind often all day long. 
You know, he's a college student. He walks by and uh, there's a gal there that's immodestly dressed. Or he, he walks by and there's an advertisement on the billboard. Or, um, you know, his friend says, hey, look at this Facebook post. And there's something um, that provokes a sexual thought or image. And, and that is where this battle begins. And you have to help uncover that. Because a lot of times men say, you know, I, I don't know why. I just can't hit the close button on my browser And the answer is, by the time the browser is open and you're looking for pornography, you've probably already lost the battle. You've got to win the battle in here, in the heart. And and that that means you have to know something of the thoughts and fantasies that are going on. So so, uh, on your notes there, these need to be put off and replaced with godly, Christ-exalting thoughts and desires. And uh, again, Biblical Counseling Conference, you're familiar with the put-off and put-on principle of Ephesians 4, 24 We do not change when we simply stop doing the wrong thing. We change when we replace the wrong thing with the right thing. That's what Ephesians 4 argues. And in the middle of that, the importance of renewing our mind. Uh, Letter A there, it is helpful with these things to already have a put-on list in mind so that you have something to think about when sinful thoughts arise. Now think about this. If you're helping a guy who's struggling with pornography and a sexual-related thought or fantasy or image comes into his head, that is not the time that he should go, huh, what righteous thought should I begin to think about now? What you want is to help him in his daily walk with God to have already rehearsed righteous thoughts, righteous beliefs, verses that he's memorized, so that in that moment of temptation, he doesn't have to think, hey, what's something righteous I can think of instead? He immediately already has trained his mind to have verses and principles and and, uh, truths from Scripture there so he can immediately put off and put on in that moment. Let me give you some examples just to make sure that you know what I'm describing here. Do you have a table there in your notes? Put off, put on. Do you see that there? I'll just wander through those. Here's some examples. This is not exhaustive, but it'll help you understand what I'm talking about. Put off. A a, a man might say, I'm tired and stressed out. I just need some relief. And, And he looks to pornography for that. Well, what he needs to put on in that moment is to tell himself something like this. Lord, I'm tired and stressed. I need your grace to sustain me. Help me to find peace in you alone. See, that's based on a biblical truth. That relief and peace and encouragement when I'm tired and anxious and stressed is found in in God, not in sin. Uh, What what did uh, the psalmist say in Psalm 16? Um, In, let's see, how does he say it? Um, In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. That's the truth. Relief is not found in pornography, it's found in pursuing Christ. Or how about this? I just want to feel the rush of looking at it. And yes, ladies, I hate to tell you this, that's about as as profound as this gets sometime. And in that moment, a man needs to say, Father, only you can bring me godly pleasure to my soul. Help me to see the deception of the temptation I feel right now. You expose that temptation. You say that's a lie that will not satisfy me. Only God can do that. Might I find joy in the pleasures which are in your right hand. Again, referencing Psalm 16 there. Or a, a, a man might be walking down the street, minding his own business, or he might be looking for something. Or, or um, someone says, hey, look at my phone, look at this post. And he immediately thinks that this woman looks, and then his mind runs off into sexual thoughts and sin. And in that moment, he needs to stop himself and pray this. And I have learned to train men to pray like this, to kill temptation in the moment. He needs to pray something like this. Father, that woman is yours. She is made in your image by you and for you. 
Any sexual beauty she has is reserved for her husband alone. Help me to honor her as a fellow image bearer and to think of her as a sister whom I am called to serve and treat with all purity. Men need to be trained that as soon as something catches their attention, they are praying for that woman to God as a sister, as a fellow image bearer, reminding themselves of the biblical truths there. A man might say, I'll just look for a minute. And he needs to remember uh, Romans 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision, which means no plan to indulge for the flesh in regard to its lusts. I must kill this thought now. And I wrote this down because it's it's so funny. Instead, I'm going to ask my mom if I can help with any chores. Because, yes, I counsel high school students. And the point is, it doesn't have to be something super spiritual that you do in its place. It can be a basic act of teenage obedience. I need to go do the chores that my mom asked me to do an hour ago instead of you know, looking at my phone or looking at my tablet. A man might say it will feel so good too. And he'll remember Proverbs 5, replacing it. For the lips of the adulteress drip honey. Smoother than oil is her speech, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Solomon tells his son, she looks good, she looks great, she looks desirable. In the end she will kill you. In the following chapters, uh, Solomon will tell his boys, her steps lead to hell itself. A man might say, I'll just look this time because God will forgive me. Remember Romans 6. Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. A man might say, no one will know. And Proverbs reminds us, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he watches all his past. In that room, with that computer, that tablet, that phone, God is there. A man might say, I can't resist the temptation. He's given up hope. It's too strong. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And, and, and the, the, you guys understand, the theology of the verse is always the main point, right? You know that? The theology of the verse is always the main point. What's the theology of the verse right here? God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure that. Does that make sense? Do you see the putting off and putting on? And, and here, as a biblical counselor, what you have to do is craft a put-off, put-on list that is tailor-made for the person you're ministering to. So as you gather data, you say, what are the thoughts? What do you say? What do you tell yourself? What tempts you? And then put those in the put-off column and then help that young man or help that old man put a put-on list based on renewing his mind in Scripture and then to go over this list, something like this, every day as part of the quiet time so in that moment of temptation, he has ammunition to put off and put on. Uh, Moving on now, uh, number eight, Look at letter B. Since sexual temptation often comes to the mind as an image, having a righteous image to replace them is essential. Now, let let me be real clear on this. This is not visualization technique. This is not, I'm going to picture what I want reality to be, and if I just believe it, then it's going to become reality. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the application of Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, is there anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And I'm going to argue from this text that can be an image. It ought to be an image because sin comes into our mind very often as an image. A man says, I can't get those images out of my head. There's no erase button. There's no delete button. No, there's not. But you can replace those images. 
You, you can't, when a man has a, a sexually explicit image in his mind from something he's looked at, he says, how do I get that out of my mind? He, he can't stop it, but he can replace it. And replacing it is how the Bible instructs us in how to change with these things. So, so some ideas. A man in that moment might picture his wife if he's married. He might picture his children or his grandchildren and, and think about how precious those family members are. A man might have an image of a time of, of, a, of a person or persons he, he's had the privilege to lead to Christ or significant highlights from ministry. I, I remember as a brand new Christian uh, wrestling through some of this myself, um, I had just gotten involved in um, in ministry in local church and uh, trying to apply Philippians 4 just to think on things that are true and right. And uh, one of the first things I got involved in the church was, was teaching in Awana. And I would think of those Awana boys that I would pour my life into and go over memory verses with and see them get their awards and encourage them in their walk with God and, and pray for them in that moment of temptation to picture them and saying, that is righteous. That is what honors God, not this filth. You can also think of uh, image, images that are righteous, but thinking about the negativities of sin. This is the argument of Proverbs 5. Remember what Proverbs says? I was almost in the midst of ruin in the assembly of the congregation. Remember, when, remember that ha- happens in Proverbs 5? So you can do it like this. Picture having to tell your wife. Picture having to tell your children or your grandchildren what you've done. Picture having to stand before your church or your ministry, your elder board, your pastor, and say, this is what I've been doing. And, and Proverbs is saying, think about that now before the temptation as a deterrent in the temptation. So that's, that's a very important application of the put-off, put-on principle. Letter C, Romans 13, verse 14, offers a helpful put-on, put-off admonition. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, it says. His desires, His thoughts, His provisions. Know Christ, study Him, emulate Him. And then it says, make no provision for the flesh. That's the put-off. Make no provision for the flesh. Do you see that little word provision in the verse there? That word provision means thoughtful planning to meet a need. So what this verse is saying, make no provision for the flesh, means that we should not even begin to make a plan to indulge in sexual lust, but to kill the desire as soon as it comes. And I found that guys who learn the habit of killing the temptation early on are often the most successful in battling pornography. Because when they look at pornography in the afternoon, often it happened at 9 a.m. in the morning with some thought that popped into their mind. And instead of killing it, making no provision like it says here, they began to make a plan to indulge. And at the point that you're making a plan to indulge, you're making, uh, you're making it very, very difficult to stop following through and looking at pornography. So that's what that verse is telling us to do. Uh, number nine, read Romans 6. How does your status as a believer in Jesus Christ equip you to, the battle, to battle sin? Uh, write down at least five commands. Romans 6 is one of those hinges in the book of Romans where it connects the indicatives, who we are in Christ, with the imperatives, what we can do because of Christ. And uh, I just find going through Romans 6 with men is very, very helpful to help them understand who are they in Christ and what resources do they have at their disposal because of that. And then number 10, uh, do a biblical study of sexual intimacy. You have to understand that part of putting off and putting on is men that are struggling in pornography, they need to stop looking at that. But what needs to happen in the heart is they need to replace 
a worldly, sinful, wicked way of thinking about sex with a biblical, righteous, holy, God-honoring view of thinking about sexual intimacy in the context of marriage. And so I've given you some resources there. Uh, Dr. Stuart Scott's uh, chapter, Physical Intimacy and the Exemplary Husband, is a very good study. Um, if, if it's a single guy, I might encourage them instead to go to Chim, Tim Challey's little book called Sexual Detox. He's got a chapter in there that's really written more uh, for single guys. Um, And and there are other studies. These are not in your notes, but here's some other studies that I've actually done with men that are struggling with pornography. Okay, we talked about God-honoring sexual intimacy. What about this? A study of of 1 Corinthians 6, how we should use our bodies for God's glory. That's a great study. Or uh, 1 Timothy 5, 2, how to think about and view women. Guys do not know how to think about women. They don't. Christian guys do not know how to think of women, that you have to train them how to do that righteously. And that's what Paul's telling uh, uh, Timothy here in 1 Timothy 5, 2. Think of, of younger women as sisters in all purity. He talks about there and expand on that. Here's a wonderful study. You like to do a, a topical study? Study the book of Proverbs under the topic of straying and how to avoid it. That's a wonderful study. Go through Proverbs 1 through... Uh, chapter 1 to 31, and look up every instance of the word straying. And what does the text teach you about how to avoid it? Fascinating study. Or again in Proverbs, study the fear of the Lord. That's a great topic that relates to our subject. What does it mean to be in Christ? Romans chapter 6. And uh, so I'm arguing here in this section that putting off and putting on, it's not just about avoiding sexual sin, it's learning to think biblically about all these topics. And the best defense, according to Psalm 119, is a good offense. Okay? That completes the offensive plan. Now, let's talk about the defensive plan. What's the defensive plan? That's what you do. This is what I train guys to do when they're being tempted. When they're being tempted to look at pornography or to think about uh, sexually related thoughts or images. Uh, It's very simple. And and it's simple on purpose. Because in the moment of temptation... um, long, extensive thinking and, and detailed and, and, and difficult things, that, that's hard to do. So very, very simple. Here it is, step one, get away. This is the Joseph method of dealing with sexual immorality. You flee, and if necessary, leave your coat. Okay? Get away. Um, now, I, I wrote this, and I'm thinking about a college student here, but I've used this with married men. I've used this uh, with, with older guys that aren't or past their college days. But for a college student, I'm thinking about um, a public location that they can flee to when temptation arises. This, this, again, it's spiritual kindergarten, but, but listen to me. The first thing you do when you're being tempted is remove yourself from the temptation. Now, sometimes you can't do that, but very often with pornography, you can. So do it, right? Get out of there. Flee, run. Get out of that dorm room. Get out of that that home alone. You know, if a guy's on a business trip, you know, and and that's a problem, what's he going to do? One of the things I have a privilege of doing in our church is um, there are guys that travel. And some of them them have asked me and other men in the church to hold them accountable. And so when they get to the hotel, they'll text me and say, hey, I'm here. And I've unplugged the TV. Um, and I'll often ask them if they're going to be in that hotel room for a long time, maybe they've got some time before their meetings or whatever, I'll ask them, what is your plan? And they'll say, I'm going to go across the street to Starbucks. Uh, I'm going to go across the street to um, you know, the restaurant over there, and I'm going to take my book with me or my Kindle, or I'm going to take some work from the Okay, good. Because sitting in that hotel room alone is a terrible place 
when a guy is struggling with temptation. So get away. Number two, pray. Seek the Lord. Call upon his name. Tell him what you've been thinking and desiring. Ask for his help and strength and ask for him to give you the grace to take a step of obedient faith and not give in to temptation. Number three, review. Review the offensive plan. I tell guys, take the plan. Maybe they put it on their phone or, or even better, slip it in your Bible. And get away and have that in your car. Have it with your Bible. Take it with you and review that. Go over those scriptures. Renew your mind. Um, Pour over the word of God. Pray, and I tell guys this, pray and renew your mind in the scriptures until your desires change. And not until they do change. And then finally, call your discipler or accountability partner. Tell him what's going on and let him counsel you with specific instruction. Okay? Now, Last thing is a repentance plan. Uh, remember, repentance is special teams, right? Because that's what happens when, when you get in trouble. Um, I find that often failure to truly practice biblical repentance is the reason that so many men lack growth and progress when struggling with sexual sin. They're not repenting biblically. They feel bad. They feel guilty. They tell God they're sorry. They make resolutions, but they don't biblically repent. And and guess what, guys? I'm here to tell you. If you don't biblically repent, you're not going to change. So helping men to learn biblical repentance is very important. Now, so you implement this plan if you fall into sin. The first three steps are all confession. Confess the sin to God. That's most important. Number two, confess the sin and seek forgiveness from those you sinned against. Uh, That would be like a spouse if um, a person is married. And uh, confess the sin to another brother in Christ who is helping you with accountability. So so confession needs to happen on those three levels, uh, assuming the person is, is married. Number two applies. Okay. Number four, take radical steps or take steps of radical amputation to avoid temptation in the future. If a guy has looked at pornography, I'm going to ask him the question, what happened? Because Matthew 5 says you should eliminate all the possibility of that. So I think of it like this. I think of like a a big dam that's holding back a huge body of water. And it's like, there's a crack and now there's water shooting out of the dam. And so when I come and talk to them, I say, okay, where is the hole in the dam? How did you get to it? How did you access it? What happened? And then we need to go back to Matthew 5 and apply those radical amputation steps. Uh, Number five, under the uh, repentance plan, what actions of righteousness do you need to implement to replace the sin? What actions of righteousness do you need to implement to replace the sin? Ask yourself these questions. In this specific instance of sin, what should I have been doing? Oftentimes, actually, you know what, I ask young men this question all the time. I'll say, why do you look at pornography? Why do you do it? You know the number one answer I get from young guys, high schools, and college students? You know what it is? I was bored. I was bored, so I looked at pornography. Um, It's not always the case, but, but very often boredom is in play. So it's like, what should you have been doing? Your homework, your chores, were you supposed to be at your job? Were you supposed to be working on a report? Uh, what were you helping your parents? Um, uh, if you're married, were you supposed to be um, you know, doing something with your kids? What is it? Uh, letter B, what are 10 specific ways I can show sacrificial love to my wife? 
That's an action of righteousness. Uh, Tim Challies develops this in his book. But he basically says, whenever if a man is married, if he's tempted by pornography, he needs to put that off and repent and, and, and seek God's forgiveness. And then he needs to replace that with proactively loving and pursuing his wife in biblical ways. So develop that. What are 10 ways that I can do that? Letter C, are there areas of responsibility that I have been neglecting? You know, often what accompanies pornography is idleness, laziness, and a lack of responsibility in other areas. So let's get them moving in the right direction on those things. Are there personal projects, letter D, ministries, household duties, other God-honoring activities that I need to start doing but I've been putting off? uh, Number six, ask God to examine your heart. We go back to Psalm 139 all over again. What self-serving desires and motivations do you see? Confess those to God. What God-honoring and other-serving desires and motives should you replace them with? Letter B, ask them this question. When do you think this particular temptation began? And like I said, you'll begin to see a pattern. And one of the wonderful things you can do to help guys is to show them that their temptation to pornography started hours before they looked at the pornography. That's often the case. And, and that's actually encouraging because that's the best time to kill it. Don't, don't do it when you're, when, when you're on the edge of the cliff about ready to fall over and, and look at the stuff. Uh, letter uh, C, what is the main pleasure that pornography offers that is attractive to you? And I've given you a table here that I have uh, borrowed from uh, Tim Chester's excellent book called Closing the Window. But this is what he's saying. Men do not look at pornography for all the same reasons. Okay? They don't look at pornography for the same reasons. Let's just look at a couple of these. You have that chart in front of you there. Uh, look down at the one that says reward under promise of porn there, that first column. Some men look at pornography in the context of being bored because they want to feel something. They want some satisfaction. They want something that they think will bring them happiness. Well, watch, and this is what's so helpful about Chester's work. He shows how faith in God and a particular gospel virtue meet that need or address that issue. For example, under reward, he says, in that moment, we need to remind ourselves that God is good, and thus he is the only source of our ultimate and lasting joy. So then I call myself to delight and and joy in him instead of in the pornography. Do you see how that works? And so he has several different potential heart motivations here, and I I would refer that resource to you as an excellent uh, thing to read. Letter D, in what other areas of your life do you see selfishness in living for self instead of for God and for others? Um, at work, with family, in eating, in leisure, uh, in, in hobbies, at church. Uh, remember why Jesus died according to 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 and 15. He died so that we who live would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So selfishness is there. And actually, one of the best ways you help a guy who's struggling with pornography, you're going to help him with that, but what you want to help him with is to put to death selfishness and living for self in all these other areas that he's cultivating it. And when he grows to be a more godly, mature, selfless person in those other areas, guess what? He'll grow in the struggle with pornography as well. I'm putting that off. Number seven, by God's grace, what commitments to action do you need to make? We're talking about repentance. What is true repentance? Well, repentance is not complete until change has been put into place. Change in thought, change in belief, change in desire, change in behavior. 1 Timothy 4, 7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. There are some commitments, some things that need to change. 
And finally, number eight, we need to help them meditate on and rest in the benefits of being in Christ. Why is that? Because when a man is, is broken over his sin, he feels guilt, he feels shame, he is discouraged, he might be angry, he's done it again. Guess where we need to lead that man in repentance? We need to lead him right back to the cross, right back to who, his union with Christ, the resources that is there. There's forgiveness, there is change, and there is hope there. Okay, um, You'll see those resources there, wonderful resources. Um, if I had to give you one book... Uh, to, that I would say is the strongest resource, it would be uh, Heath Lambert's book, Finally Free. How many are familiar with that book? Okay, the rest of you need to go like do that, get that right away. There are some in the bookstore if you want to do that. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful book on progressive sanctification with application to dealing with pornography. It's a wonderful book. Heath Lambert, Finally Free. Uh, Tim Challey's, uh, Tim Chester's book, excellent. Brian Croft's little booklet, Wonderful. Josh Harris's book, Sect is Not the Problem, Lust is. Uh, for those of you that want to want to really get into something uh, deep and significant, John Owen's book, Overcoming Sin and Temptation. Uh, get this edition here because uh, Kelly Capick and Justin Taylor uh, took the 16th century language and um, they, they, they translate it and they help you out with some of the archaic language there. But there, there's nobody... I think every pastor I've ever talked to says this. There is nobody who has written more helpfully on overcoming sin than the Puritan John Owen. So he's very hard to read for some people, but this edition it makes it much more palatable. And another Puritan, wonderful book, Thomas Watson, The Godly Man's Picture. That's a great book to take men through. What does a godly man look like? And, uh, and uh, just a great study there. Okay, well, we're out of time. I promised I won't make you late to your uh, uh, dinner break. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for being at this conference. If you have questions, um, I'll hang around. You're welcome to come up and ask them after the break, but we'll dismiss now. Copyright 2016, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org dot o-r-g